Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, host of Healthy Aging Podcast with South Coast Health. Today, we are talking about radiation oncology with Dr. Patrick Gagnon, who is the Chief of Radiation Oncology at the South Coast Health Cancer Center. Dr. Gagnon is a graduate of Georgetown University School of Medicine. He completed a residency in radiation oncology at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. He has specialized expertise and interest in stereotactic body radiation therapy and image-guided radiation therapy. Dr. Gagne has performed research in adaptive radiation therapy and imaging and has presented at numerous national and international meetings. He is a recipient of a competitive research grant, the ASCO Young Investigator Award, for his novel research on head and neck cancer. Dr. Gagne is a member of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the American Society of Radiation Oncology, and the European Society for Radiotherapy and Oncology. Dr. Gagnon is board certified in radiation oncology. Welcome, Dr. Patrick Gagnon. Hi, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about the different cancer screening options that are available today. It's really uh, such an important area in oncology. Everyone knows about colonoscopies and mammograms, and, um, and and those are critically important screening tools for some of the most common cancers that we see. So, for instance, for breast cancer, mammograms and other imaging like MRI and ultrasound are used to pick up cancers at an earlier stage. Before those screening tools were in existence, really cancers were picked up at much later stages and outcomes were, of course, not as good. So the most common cancers are breast and prostate cancer. They both have excellent screening tools available. Colorectal cancer uh, is the second most common cancer, which has excellent screening tools with colonoscopies. And then more recently, actually, there's been some really nice research done on lung cancer, which is the third most common cancer, uh, but one of the leading causes of cancer death. And that's always been difficult to screen for, uh, though more recently, chest CAT scans have been used uh, with really good data showing that you can pick up these cancers at much earlier stages. So you work with all different types of cancer? I sure do, yes. Okay. And talk about the radiation process, because that's the specialty. Sure. Your first step is you're going to come in and you're going to meet with a radiation oncologist for what we call a consultation. Uh, we're going to go through your history and go through um, all of your pertinent details up to that point and then decide if you're a good candidate for radiation. And then we would move on to what we call a planning process or what's called radiation simulation. And usually that's a special CAT scan that's actually done right with you in the treatment position. Because then we can take that CAT scan and custom design the radiation behind the scenes directly to your body and your cancer. And then that process takes a week or so, and then you start the radiation. And then it's a daily treatment, Monday through Friday. And that can be for one treatment, or it can be out as long as nine weeks of daily treatments. What are the side effects of radiation? It really varies so much depending on what part of the body is being treated. 
So for instance, if you're treating the prostate for prostate cancer in men, you're going to find some uh, symptoms like loose stools or urinary frequency from some bladder irritation and some tiredness. For breast cancers, it's completely different. Tiredness is common, but you're going to get a lot of redness of the skin because you're intentionally treating from the skin surface to the chest wall in those patients. And then if you're treating like a throat cancer, you're going to get really bad sore throat. If you're treating the stomach, you can get some nausea. So it really depends greatly on what part of the body is being treated. Is there any danger in radiation? You know what? Radiation is a really great tool, but no dose of radiation in and of itself is really considered safe. But that being said, if you use it in a careful and controlled manner, the benefits of using radiation therapy in situations where you're dealing with cancers can greatly outweigh the risks of radiation. But for your average population, absolutely, you should avoid radiation exposure if possible. But from a radiation therapy standpoint, it can be a very safe tool when used correctly. Now, you work a lot with stereotactic radiation. Explain what that is. Sure. Stereotactic radiation is a very focused type of radiation. It was really developed in kind of the 1960s, actually, uh, for use on small brain tumors. And you could, you could use it in such a way that you give a really, really high dose that's called almost what we call an ablative dose, like you're using a laser almost and, and destroying the tumor in that one little spot. And it's evolved over the years so that you can use it and target multiple spots in the brain at any one time. And then actually starting in the 1990s, stereotactic radiation was applied to other body parts as well. So now we use it for early stage small lung tumors. Uh, We use it in the spine for spine tumors. It can be used for liver tumors as well. So it, it has broad applications now. But essentially what you're doing is giving really high doses in a really controlled way. And the goal is to eradicate the cancer. That's correct. So it it evaporates it, if you will, kind of, over time. It creates, well, I liken it to a laser, but it's not really like that because there's no heat or anything like that. It's, It's creating such an immense amount of damage to the cancer cells that your body basically reabsorbs them and turns it into scar tissue is a better way to think of it. Yeah. And you use the radiation with, as you said, all different types of cancers. Are some cancers more difficult to use radiation with than others? Absolutely. There's certain types of tumors that are in very delicate locations where radiation has limitations. Um, For instance, cancers of the brainstem. Those cancers are very difficult to treat because you're limited by what the tolerance of the normal surrounding brainstem is. That's not to say you can't treat them because you you also are limited with those cancers in terms of surgery. They're not cancers that can be operated on either. But every radiation course is customized basically because you have these normal surrounding tissues that have to be respected. Are older adults at more risk for the types of cancers you've been discussing today? Almost all cancers are diseases of aging. Of course, we treat younger patients as well, but risk goes up over time for sure. And so, you know, many, many of my patients are over the age of 70 and we treat patients up into their 90s and I've had patients in their hundreds that we've treated with radiation. And so it's very much a disease of the aging population. And I think that the prevention and screening becomes even more important the older you get because that risk just goes up and up in terms of getting these cancers. 
so it's not the age itself in terms of being able to handle this or recover. You know, we used to think about age as a hard number, but actually, if you have a person who's in their 90s walk through the door, they could be much more suited to radiation than a 65-year-old who is very debilitated and and has a lot of medical comorbidities or medical problems. So I don't think that age by itself is that useful of a number. If I see a 90-year-old on my schedule, am I going to be wary? Am I going to be cautious? Absolutely, because it doesn't take much sometimes to push those patients too hard. But in reality, it's it's not the age that is important. And, and I don't think that you would rule out any treatment based on age alone for the most part. Hmm. What led you to this specialty of radiation oncology? That's such a great question because it's a small field where there's not a lot of broad exposure for medical students. But um, I grew up around it. Uh, my father was a radiation oncologist. My brother, my older brother, was also a radiation oncologist, and so it's something that um, I was always familiar with. And to be honest with you, when I went to medical school, my feeling was I'm not going to be a radiation oncologist, but. It's, it's funny how things happen. I thought I was going to be a surgeon, and, and then I rotated on radiation oncology. I'm like, hey, this high-tech sort of high-touch field is, is such a wonderful mix. It's, it's hard to pass up once you, once you learn about it. Yeah. Do you think it's made a difference for you having a family, a brother and a father, in the exact same specialty as you in terms of your not only love for the profession, but competence in the profession? Well, I, you know, in the early stages of my career out of residency, my brother was about five years ahead of me, and um, I talked to him every day on my way home from work. You know, like having that sounding board is was such a unique and valuable thing for me. Um, he had gained sort of that real world out of residency experience already that I was just as- aspiring to at the time. You know, and um, I think it gives you perspective too you know, uh, on the specialty, but on medicine as a whole too, when you grow up around it, uh, and how it's changed since, you know, I remember my father in the 1980s practicing medicine and going to his office and seeing how, I mean, I have vivid recollections of him drawing blocks on x-rays with grease pencils. I mean, we just don't do that stuff anymore, you know, but it gives you an interesting appreciation for the actual technology that you're using every day. And it gives you sort of, at least in my opinion, it gives you a clinical mindset that is sort of a little bit of a combination of new tech and old school, you know, Mm -hmm. because that it's really clinical judgment is hard to teach. And clinical judgment is very important as part of this Mm -hmm. and using the tools in the right way. Talking about the tech part, what new advances in technology help with this kind of radiation therapy? I often tell patients this. Uh, my father stopped practicing in 2000, and he would not even recognize what we do now. That The change from 2000 to now has been just immense. Some of those technologies are around imaging. We've built like diagnostic level quality imaging, like CAT scans and diagnostic x-rays right into our machines. There's actually now MRI-guided radiation, and you can do those imaging right at the same time as you're doing the treatment. And you can, you can monitor for any changes. You can also create such tight focused doses now that you can really shrink down the area you're treating just to what you want to treat. So it's much so more precise. For sure. For sure. And that's something called image guided radiation therapy, which, you know, before 
the early 2000s was not even really something that was done routinely, you know, or and, and capability was very limited. Okay. Other technologies have been around uh, the machines it's themselves and actually creating these ability to custom shape the fields and actually change the orientation and shapes of the field dynamically while the treatment is actually being delivered. And so you can you can deliver these treatments in a much, much faster way. So you can deliver a radiation beam in a minute, which, you know, 20 years ago would have taken 15 minutes. And from a patient standpoint, that's a huge difference, you know, in terms of comfort. Yeah. What do you what do you see in the future, Dr. Gadden? I mean, it's already advanced so much in 20 years from when your father was doing this work. But what do you see in the next 10 or 20 years? It's it's so hard to know. You know, it's funny because um I think that the the software had to catch up to what the hardware can actually deliver. And we've gotten to a point now where the software has has now exceeded what the capabilities of the machines can physically do. And so I think the next step is maybe even a complete redesign of how we think about generating the actual radiation beams and the machines that we use to deliver them. So there's now machines that can deliver the radiation on a robotic arm from all different directions. Mm -hmm. There's machines that look like big CAT scanners and they deliver the radiation in big arcs as they go around and the patient passes through. Um, th those are in existence now, but you can think in the future that there's going to be more and more iterations like that. That's just moving the field forward. Um, so mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of room on the hardware side yeah. uh, for changes. I mean, the bare bones foundation of most radiation machines hasn't changed that much since they were first yeah. developed in the 1960s and yeah. even fifties. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you this question because oftentimes when patients talk about their treatments, they will use two words, radiation and chemotherapy. What's the difference between those two? Radiation is a external treatment in the vast majority of cases. It's their high energy x-rays. So you think about, you go to the, the radiologist and you get a chest x-ray done. This is the same process. It's just that the energy is much, much higher and we can deliver it with much, much more focus. But the machine doesn't touch the patient. It moves around the patient. It's non-invasive. Chemotherapy is medical treatment where you're delivering medicine into the body, either via IV or sometimes by oral drugs. And broadly, we think of chemotherapy as including also immunotherapy now and these certain targeted therapies that can target specific proteins on cancer cells and things. Um, but those are treatments that go through the whole body, whereas radiation's a little bit more akin to surgery because it's focused. Chemotherapy treats the entire body. Do they usually go together, Dr. Gagnon, or can one person have one and not the other? There's a whole mix. Every cancer is treated differently. So, for instance, most colon cancers are treated with a combination of surgery and chemotherapy. Most prostate cancers are treated with either surgery and radiation. And many lung cancers and head and neck cancers, like throat cancers, are treated with a combination of radiation and chemotherapy sometimes with surgery, but often not. So it really depends on what cancer you're treating. But cancers that are treated with chemo and radiation together, the chemotherapy is designed to make the radiation more potent. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was something I, because I often hear of them together when people talk about treatments. Now, speaking of head and neck, that is a real interest of yours. What has your work been in that area of head and neck cancer? Uh, 
when I was a resident, we actually developed a custom um, device. We had a system at the time called the Calypso system, which essentially uses these radiomagnetic beacons. And at the time, it was used primarily for prostate cancer. You would implant them into the prostate, and then you could monitor the prostate in real time. So if the prostate was to move a little bit during treatment, you would detect that, and you could stop the beam. Well, we came up with a system where we implanted these beacons into customized mouth guards, and it allowed us to improve the patient positioning on the table. So you think of when a patient's lying on the table and their head is back, their chin could be more up or it could be down or they could be rotated a little left or right. If you have these three beacons that give you that 3D spatial information, you can get their alignment just right before you put the mask on the patient. And so our, our goal was to improve the alignment of those patients and, and see if, if we can make a difference. There. Do you still do that? We do not really do that. We, uh, we, that, that work, it showed that it probably doesn't make much of a difference. Um, it was more of a novel application of the technology at the time, which was very, very new. Um, but actually it, in practical use, it's a lot to put the patient through for very little to no gain in the end. But it was something that academically, uh, was a question that we wanted to answer. Yeah. Speaking of what the patient goes through, what are some of the recommendations you offer to patients when they're going through therapy, radiation therapy? I think one of the biggest things, uh, people do better when they have a support system. You know, there's so many side effects sometimes, particularly with head and neck cancers, that patients who just don't have that support at home, they really struggle to maintain their nutrition, their hydration and fluid intake, and they just struggle to get through the whole process. For people who have a good support system, they've got that that person who's really working with them every day. And I tell people this all the time, I know you're not working right now, but your full-time job is sometimes to get nutrition and hydration in. And having that second person there to help you through that means that it's just much smoother sailing for those patients. So I think that's critically important. I also tell people that having a positive mindset towards their treatment is also really has a lot of benefits. Um, we find that those patients just tolerate things better and they have a better outlook in the end. What about nutrition? You were talking about nutrition and hydration. Any particular rules with nutrition or suggestions? So as I keep saying, it depends on what you're treating. For many patients, you can maintain your normal diet and you can eat normally and you're going to feel fine. Like for instance, prostate cancer patients, sometimes we, we reduce their fiber intake a little bit to help with some loose stools. But overall, those patients can come in, they can go to work every day, they can have their treatment, they can go play golf, whatever they like to do. Breast cancer patients, same thing. If you have a head and neck cancer, the nutrition piece becomes much more critical. Uh, many of those patients actually need feeding tubes just to get through the treatment. So it's sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. So we have a dietitian who's dedicated to that patient population and works with them to try to maintain the best level of nutrition that they can going through. And then for other patients, they don't need those services as much uh, because they can sort of eat their normal diet and live their normal life. Mm -hmm. Do you have any patient stories, you know, an inspirational story of someone you worked with that really could have gone one way or another and it ended up, they did very well? I, sure. Yeah. Um, I have a, a lot of patients like that. 
there's patients, uh, so stereotactic body radiation therapy, which we, we talked about a little bit earlier, that's when we take that high focus dose of radiation and we deliver it to things like small lung tumors. Most of those patients, if you can do surgery, you do surgery on, but stereotactic radiation represents an option for those patients who are either not candidates for surgery or decline surgery. And it's a really good second choice. It's non-invasive. Patients, by and large, have minimal side effects most of the time to, to no side effects. And I, my very first patient that I treated at South Coast out of residency with stereotactic radiation lived for 10 years and died of something else other than her lung cancer, you know? And so, and, and that's the outcome that we expect from that treatment. Uh, of course, we don't cure everybody. For patients that we're trying to cure, you know, biology gets in the way and cancer outsmarts us sometimes. But when, when that's our goal, that's the goal. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you usually do uh, the radiation in the early stages of cancer or can it come in the later stages? We do radiation for many reasons across the spectrum. And so the early stage lung cancer, the early stage breast cancer, the early stage prostate cancer, those patients, our goal is to cure them. And we're giving them a, what we call a definitive course of radiation. In other words, we're going to give this to you and this is what we're doing. We're all in and we're trying to cure this cancer. In other cases, someone may come in with a much more advanced cancer, let's say a cancer that's spread to a bone and is causing a lot of pain. Radiation is very good at symptom relief as well. So we use it in those cases to relieve pain. We, we do it to relieve obstructions, for instance, in someone who has a cancer in the esophagus. And even if that cancer is spread everywhere and you're not going to cure that patient, you may be able to reopen their esophagus and allow them to eat normally again. And so we use it across the spectrum. For most of his life, Dan from Situate, Massachusetts has struggled with obesity. Eight or 10 years old, I started getting, you know, chubby. By the time I graduated high school, I think I was between 275 and 300. Went on a roller coaster and I'm ready to go and they, the guy comes walking up to me. My thighs were so big, he couldn't get the, the latch to, to latch and I had to get off the ride, okay? Like enough is enough. So Dan contacted the South Coast Health Weight Loss Center. The program as a whole is what was the, the key to me picking them over Boston. And I was a 46 going into 48, and now I'm a 30-inch waist. South Coast Health Weight Loss Center has helped transform more than 6,500 lives. To learn more about how they can help you, too, call 844-744-5544 or go to southcoast.org. I'm living proof to show if you put the work in on anything that you can get what you want. South Coast Health gave me the tools, and here I am, you know, with my health forever. Take impossible, throw it out of your vocabulary. South Coast Health, more than medicine. As a physician who's seen, you see patients with cancer all the time. How do you deal with that emotionally? Do you find the hope in this? Do you feel that it's taxing? How does it affect you? I had a mentor uh, when I was in medical school. He was a cardiologist, a really famous cardiologist, very elderly gentleman. And I, and I did a rotation with him. And one of the things that he used to tell patients, and this was back in the 40s and 50s, was you would be the rare patient that we couldn't help. And I take that very seriously with radiation oncology because even when someone comes in and they've been struggling with their cancer, say, for several years, and, and even if things are not going well, they're coming for a specific reason that we can very often help them with. 
And so even in situations where it's very, very difficult, you can give that patient a little bit of hope that you can return some quality of life to them. And I think like that's really important. And that's different than the patients who are coming in with early stage cancers that we're trying to cure. You know, those cancers, we, we work really hard to cure them. It doesn't always work. And when it doesn't, giving that news when something doesn't go well is very difficult. But again, you're always looking towards like, how can I help you to, to live better? Sometimes it's not going to be to live longer, but it's going to be to live better than you are now. And I think like that for me has been very important. Hmm. And living better, that really goes into lifestyle and prevention, as you said, attitude. What are some suggestions you have for people who've either been through radiation or haven't yet, but in terms of prevention and lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, so many cancers are associated with lifestyle and environmental factors, uh, and not all of them. But, you know, smoking is the primary cause of lung cancers. It's the primary cause of bladder cancers, interestingly. And, and you know, though that's a modifiable lifestyle factor. Obesity is associated with colorectal cancers, breast cancers, also something that, you know, you have control over. And I would almost look at those risk factors, almost like cancer screening you know, in prevention, you're, you're doing what you can to reduce your risk. Are you going to reduce your risk to zero? No, nobody can, you know, but you can make a difference to your future self. If you think about those modifiable lifestyle risk factors now. So the screenings are very important. Screenings are critical because routine screening has made such an enormous difference. It's taken what used to be very lethal diseases and we catch the vast majority of those that are screened properly at early stages now. And it's, it's night and day in terms of outcome for those patients, both in terms of survival, but also in terms of quality of life. So screenings would be for women mammograms, um, for yep. men prostate, certainly colon cancer. Um, that would be for men and women. For sure. Cervical cancer for women, particularly younger women. Unlike some of the other cancers like breast cancer, which can be picked up on imaging, you know, clinical exam is how you would pick up a head and neck cancer. You know, you, you would need to be seen by an ENT surgeon. That said, we do actually do some screenings in the local communities for high risk patient populations where we do a good head and neck exam. And you're going to pick up some limited number of cancers that way, but there's no formal national screening program for head and neck cancers. And I think one of the things you've said indirectly, Dr. Gagnon, is that we as patients have responsibility too, because we have to take care of ourselves, not just with lifestyle, but with screenings. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a two-way street for sure. I mean, we want to be able to provide the most technical, the best possible treatments that are out there and keep pushing that envelope. But actually, uh, the greatest difference can be made in the prevention and screening realm, uh, much more so than the treatment realm. Because by the time you need me, you've already got a cancer. And if you pick that up really early, your outcome is going to be so much more favorable in, in, from a percentage standpoint than if you pick it up late. Closing thoughts for us today, Dr. Gagnon, about radiation oncology. Yeah, I, you know, I feel very blessed to be part of this specialty and in the oncology world in general. Um, I think I said this before, but there's like this this really cool um, connection between the high tech world and the physics behind how radiation works and the biology of it, and then the fact that 
you're sitting in front of a patient who could you can really benefit uh, from that treatment, and you need to connect with them at the bedside, in the office, and you need to be able to provide that hope, both from a survival standpoint, but also a quality of life standpoint. And, and I think it's really important for a radiation oncologist to be super clear on what the goals of treatment are so that everyone's on the same page. And, you know, really, it's a very, it's a wonderful specialty. Um, I feel very lucky to be, to be a radiation oncologist, quite frankly. Thank you so much, Dr. Patrick Agnew. This was um, inspirational and enlightening, and we learned a lot. Thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, Certainly my pleasure. Thank you very much, Patricia. Thank you. All right, everyone, this wraps up this edition of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.